welcome to ECE Honestly with Kayla and Lisa. Here we discuss the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. We would like to acknowledge with gratitude that we live, work, and learn on the unceded and traditional territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Stolo peoples. On today's episode, myself, Lisa, will be speaking and discussing uh, anti-racist education with Anna Rivera from Early Years Workshops. Anna has been working in the field for many years and we'll start this conversation with Anna telling us a little bit about herself, her background in ECE and the work that she's currently doing. So Anna, if you want to jump in and introduce yourself. All right, um, so my name is Anna and I uh, typically go by Anna Valle Rivera. Um, I would also like to acknowledge with respect that uh, I am situated and living and learning and um, playing and being able to raise children on the core territory of the Quaquitlam First Nations, which is a shared traditional territory of the Tsleil-Waututh, uh, Miskwim, Squamish and Stolo Nations. And of course, I'm very thankful to be on this unceded um, land. Um, so I guess a little bit about myself. I'm I'm the owner and founder of Early Years Workshops and Training. Um, I started in the field in 2007, and I just I really loved working with the uh, with the little ones. You know, with the the I yeah. I have to I have to use the word the cuteness, right? Like the cuteness yeah. is what drew me in, and it normally is what draws us in to begin with, and just the love of being with really young children. And so then I went into um, uh, the early childhood education program at Douglas College uh, came out with a diploma uh, with early childhood education and um, special needs education a bunch of different roles in the field, uh, working as a support worker, supported child development consultant, a supervisor, um, had a mat leave and realized that I really wanted to go back to school. Um, and I wanted to go back to school, not just uh, for me, because of wanting to grow. Um, and I was growing as a mother and growing as just like a, a human being and growing human beings. And so <laughs> I decided, I was like, okay, let's go back to school. So I'm currently a, a, a student at the University of Victoria. Um, I have in the time that, you know, I, I went back to school, I decided, okay, I'm going to start writing. I'm going to start, you know, looking at different uh, activist uh, and 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 um, advocacy movements happening in ECE uh, because my mom is also an ECE. So you know, I I just think about the diversity of people that are in ECE working in ECE, and you know, just decided, okay, I'm gonna. I want I want something more. I want to do something more, not just for myself, but for others um, to support our field, to help our field, and. That's kind of what has led me to working as a workshop facilitator, working as uh, you know an, an instructor, and um, and just continuing education, and you know hopefully continuing education forever. I mean, I don't like I know I'm going to graduate soon, but I want to just keep going and keep going and keep learning. Um, and learning never stops, right? Yeah, yeah, learning exactly. Yeah, it never stops. And so I just, I, you know, that's just kind of me. That's just kind of who I am and what I'm up to these days. <laughs> that's all. Uh, I'd like to uh, start off the conversation 
about anti-racism with first, maybe you can discuss the difference between anti-racism and non-racism because there's a huge divide there and a lot of people think that they're being anti-racist, but they're actually just being non-racist and what, what the differences are and what that looks like in, in your actions as well. Okay, <laughs> so, um... You know, there's a lot of people that say, you know, I'm not racist, I'm not racist. The reality is, is that we all have the potential to be racist, every single human being. I think it's just part of, you know, who we are and, and, and human nature and the ideas that have been embedded in us, um, that have been embedded in us through media, social media, whatever it may be, family views. Um, but all of us have this potential to be racist. And so, when people say I'm not racist, what they're really saying is I don't care enough to act when I see racism happening. Mm. Um, and so to be anti-racist is essentially to be proactive against this sort of movement of wanting to fight against racism. Um, and so to me, the difference is, you know, when, when you see racism, whether it's intentional or unintentional, because it can happen unintentionally mm -hmm. when people just don't know they're being racist um, or we see things in our material or we see children and, and the way that things are playing out and we choose to ignore that, we, we choose to not care, then we're being passively racist. If we decide to take a stance against it, um, no matter how big or how, how small that stance is um, or the gesture or the action, uh, then we are actively you know, being anti-racist. Um, so there's active racist, there's passive racist. I think there's more passive racist than there are active racist. Um, and, and it's the passive racist who need to take that stance and actually bring intentionality to their work and intentionality to, you know, what it is that they're doing. Because there are many people out there who are actually being anti-racist, but they don't know it or they don't have the intentionality behind it. They don't have the wording behind it. So there is no sort of sense of purpose behind what they're doing, but they know they're doing something, uh, you know, to stop the racism when they see it with children or, you know, whether they're at a dinner table, whatever the situation may be, right? So to me, part of this understanding of what being non-racist is or AKA passively racist versus being anti-racist is about intentionality so that people know what it is that they're doing and they're actively taking that stance. I think it's, it's really interesting how you say this passive racistness that can, that can happen, right? And in one of my university courses, we were, we were just going through um, one of the books, one of a reading, I can't remember which reading it was, but they talked about microaggressions and what those look like in terms of racist comments that are made towards other people that you, you may think it's just a joke, but those are actually microaggressions towards people of color, people that are part of these communities, right? So there is a lot of passive racism that happens. And I think another part of this that sort of perpetuates the problem is colorblindness. Maybe you can sort of speak to that as well. Oh, the colorblindness. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I know. I know what you're saying. Um, so, okay. So let me just like backtrack for a second because I want to talk about, 
you know, the microaggression piece and uh, how that relates to the passive racism thing. Now, in my workshops and in a lot of the times when I talk about, you know, anti-racism and what's the difference between non-racist and passively racist, um, I share an experience that I had uh, in my early 20s. And in my early 20s, I um, went to a small town, and I'm not going to say which small town it is, but in BC. Um, and I did have people who were white skin, Euro-Canadian, um, in, in the group that I was in, uh, making jokes and, and, and using, uh, you know, words to describe me uh, and people who look like me uh, in a racist way. And now the word that they used was beaner. And now I love beans. I grew up on beans. I love beans. <laughs> My children love beans. We all love beans. Beans are so good for you. Um, and I had never heard that word be used in like a derogatory way. Um, I've never heard that, that word be used. Never, either. never. And I even call my little babies my little beans, you know, like, yeah. and so, um, you know, I've heard many people use the word in a very loving and endearing way. And this is what I'm talking about intentionality right? Because you can use the word in a loving way, or you can use it with an intent to be derogatory or to hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, I remember, you know, hearing this word be thrown around. I was really young. I didn't really know how to respond to it. Um, I kind of just like internalized it. I didn't address it directly. I didn't, I don't even talk to like the people that were there but I you know I remember feeling so uncomfortable that I did not visit a small town um, or did not spend you know or feel comfortable in a small town for almost a decade right so for almost a decade I wow. limited myself to just big cities because I'm like you know grew up in East Van I'm like yeah city city life like yeah. you know like living in you know that we know that we don't do that here in the city um and, and, you know, I had to really push myself to go to a small town. Uh, before COVID, earlier this year, I went to up to Quesnel to do a workshop. So this and is just a recent return to a small recent town. Recent return. Recent wow. return to small towns. And, and it was, you know, in this place of like learning for myself, what's the difference between non-racist and anti-racist? And in the moment when those people were, you know, sharing uh, the, the words or exchanging the words uh, to describe me in a derogatory way or describe people that look like me in a derogatory way. What I really needed was somebody to stand with me, stand in solidarity, and somebody to just say, hey, you know what, why, why are you calling people beaners? Like, I don't get it. Don't you eat beans? You know? And, and it was funny because the next day when it was my turn to cook, guess what I cooked for everybody? <laughs> beans. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh, I guess we all eating beans today. Um, but anyway, I wish that there was somebody in that moment when I felt really, you know, I felt really uncomfortable. I felt unsafe that somebody had not been just not racist because I'm not racist, but somebody who could have actively said, you know, I'm, I'm being anti-racist or, hey, that's not cool. You know, like, why are you doing that? Or just questioning or just standing with me, you know, showing an act of solidarity. And so I, I went up to Quesnel and I remember feeling a lot of fear. It sounds really funny, right? To go to this place, to go to Quesnel <laughs> and feel fear. And so I went into the room and I, I did the workshop and, you know, the ladies and all the people there were so nice. 
so nice. And so I had held onto this fear, this image of, you know, this place or these places as being racist and these people as being racist without even knowing them. That was my bias coming in there. Mm-hmm. And these ladies and, and, um, you know, Carrie, she was so nice. And, 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 and the people there were so nice and they showed me something different. And so I really appreciate Quinnell. I think Quinnell will always have like this really special place in my heart because it was the place that showed me that, you know, just because people look a certain way or live in a small town, they don't, they're not going to be racist. And actually a lot of the the, the people who I know who are really taking a stance against racism are people in these small towns. And so, you know, I, I, I think that where it's not popular to be anti-racist, it's not a popular stance to, to stand with people in solidarity. Yes. And I think what 2020 has shown me and why I think I'm, I'm finding a little bit more, you know, I guess, power in this, in this vulnerability, in this feeling of, you know, feeling fragile and stuff. Like, I, I, I think that what it has shown me 2020 is that racists exist in the, the big cities too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just in those, in those, they're everywhere. And so being anti-racist, is not just about where you live. It's not about like, you know, who you say you are. It's about your actions. It's about what you're actively trying to do. You know, I, I can say uh, I'm not racist, but then I'm going to go and laugh at racist jokes. I'm going to let things slide, um, you know, and I've, I've had some, some moments where it's like, you know, people say I'm not funny anymore if I don't laugh at their joke or I just question it. Like what, I don't know, why do you feel the need to believe that's true? Or mm-hmm. I don't really get why that's funny, you know, and, and, but that's me taking this active stance and we're not, per- nobody's perfect. We're all human. Nobody's perfect. Um, you know, I can, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can, but I think that's what being anti-racist is all about, right? Like we're, we're actively seeing racism that can be either hidden or it can be visible and we're acting, you know, in ways to stop that from happening or we're just addressing it, or maybe we're going to question it. Um, or if we see somebody that's in the middle of those jokes, you know, and we see them, you know, feeling uncomfortable or unsafe, we're going to stand in solidarity with them, no matter how, you know, imperfect our responses are as mm-hmm. trying to be ally- allies or stand in solidarity, we're still going to try. I think that's really important. A lot of people fall back onto not taking those steps because they feel like whatever they say is not the way that they should be anti-racist. Like they fear saying something into the wrong way so then they don't end up saying anything at all. And one other thing you mentioned that's really important is who you're saying it with and which groups of people you're in when you're saying these things and standing up with people from these different communities. Um, One of my... uh, one of my fellow students at university, she was saying that when she hangs out with her friend groups now, when certain things come up, maybe it's just a joke or whatever it may be, she'll question it now. And a lot of them get offended that she, it's like, oh, I can't say anything now. I can't say anything to the people that are closest to me because they just think I'm being racist. And it's not, you know, and so it's really important to have those conversations with people that are also close to you, because if you can't do it with people that are close to you, how can you do it with people out in the world that you're not close to, you know, that's how I sort of feel about it. Mm-hmm. What's, what's, what's your take on that and, and standing up for anti-racist approaches, not only with family, but also with people 
at your workplace that you're not as close with and, and sort of tackling that. Yeah. And so that's like, that's, that's a pretty huge one because um, I think it depends how much we are willing to let go of being that person that everybody's gonna like because we're just awesome easy nice you know friendly joking at everything laughing at everything um i'm definitely still a warm you know person that i hope i'm enjoyable to be around but you know there's we're setting up these boundaries right and we're letting people know um that hey like that boundary you don't cross when you're with me mm-hmm. like we can hang out we can go for coffee we can joke and laugh about things but but there are certain things that I'm just going to like set up the boundary that that's not okay around me. That's not okay in my presence. Um, you know, and if that comes up, like I'm going to question it. Um, I do acknowledge that there are going to be moments where it may be unsafe for us to speak up and say something. And so we do have to be um, cautious of that too, right? Of, of, okay, what, where what our surroundings are who we're with um you know who may be triggered what that triggered person may be capable of um, because we're just living in a very uh, easily triggered world right now uh which is understandable Mm -hmm. so as much as we you know want to act in solidarity we want to um address racism as it comes up sometimes the 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 biggest impacts come from the smallest actions okay and sometimes it's just about planting that seed sometimes it's just about asking that really simple question like i don't i don't get it though or i don't get why that's funny or how is that funny you know like or um a lot of times i think we do this pretty commonly is that we will tell a story um and then we include the race of the person or a characteristic of the person, uh, almost as a, a uh, like a backing to what we're saying. And then sometimes, you know, I'll even catch myself doing it or other people do it. And then I have to ask myself or say out loud, but did that person's race or gender or whatever it is that you use to describe them, is that what annoyed you or is it the behavior that annoyed you? Right. Because then when we start to ask those questions, even with ourselves or with others, right? We're not just questioning others, but we're questioning ourselves. So did this annoyance have to do with that characteristic or did it have to do with the behavior? And if the behavior, you know, was being played out by somebody of a different color, different socioeconomic status, maybe a different, you know, whatever uh, race or, or gender, would this have bothered me as much? So then we're taking away those, you know, those biases that we have and we're stripping them away and we're really seeing what was it. And then we're almost training ourselves because we have to, I think, you know, we can't just go out and be like pointing fingers like you, shame on you, shame on you, you know, shame is really toxic to learning. Yes. Shame is very toxic to learning. And if you start shaming people about their actions or about what they're saying, they're going to like just shut you out. Right. Mm So, um, it's also about questioning ourselves, getting past that fragility and that emotional peace in ourselves so that we can almost um, move beyond that and start to get to that really intellectual, critical thinking place for ourselves. So then we can do that with others in a way that we're being non, you know, judgmental. Mm-hmm. We're just questioning. We're thinking with pedagogy. That's why I love pedagogy, right? When we think about thinking with pedagogy, we're thinking about 
these ethical questions of living in our world together. And so ethically, you know, is it right for me to, and let's bring it back to ECE, but is it right for me to make assumptions about, you know, parents based on whatever they do for income? Mm-hmm. Right? So do I treat a, a, a father differently who comes in or a parent differently who comes in who works in construction than a parent who comes in who works in, you know, like a, as a lawyer or a doctor? Am I treating these parents differently? Am I treating children differently based on um, their race, their gender, uh, their, you know, their, their, their immigration status, mm-hmm. uh, the education level or socioeconomic level of their parents? And so when we start to think about questions, we can start to really, or think with questions, we really start to question ourselves. Um, and in these ways, we start to acknowledge how we can be anti-racist, how we can be anti-biased. And I I just want to pull out a quote from the article that you wrote just in the middle here. It says, taking an anti-biased and anti-racist approach begins with us. We all hold biases. We all have the capacity to be biased, racist, or prejudiced, whether we are aware of it or not. And I think that really resonates and speaks to what you were just saying about you know, sort of deconstructing, if if this was in a different situation or in a different race, am I still feeling that way? That's really important. Thank you for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Did you want to sort of touch back on to colorblindness again? I know sort of we went all over the map. Oh my goodness. I, you know what? I am so, I am so so bad with that I just like I go in like multiple <laughs> pathways at once and then I forget to uh to what were we talking about oh yeah the color blindness right yeah. so so that's something else that I've had to um learn to kind of address within the workshops that I do and within um you know even the conversations that I have about you know I don't see color um I don't see uh you know difference we're all part of the the you know the human race okay yeah. Um, and so I, I recently read an article uh, by the uh, written by the National Geographic. Um, and so and I apologize, I can't remember who the author was, but uh, it was an article explaining um, race and how the concept or the construct of race was created. And so the idea of race is something that is a, is a human made concept because somebody actually had to make up that concept. Yes, that's true. However, Uh, racial inequity is very real. Racism is very real. And it has really real, you know, implications. So there are a lot of made up concepts out there, you know, in our world that have really real implications on human relations. And so when people say, you know, I don't see color, everybody's the same, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. What you're really saying is that you have the privilege to not see color. Mm -hmm. because racial inequity is not going to affect you and that doesn't mean that you've you've never faced inequity in other ways or uh, you know unfair unfairness or um you've had hardship in other ways but what you're saying when you say i i don't see color is that you don't want to see the racial inequity that exists because you don't want to acknowledge the privilege that you have because you're never going to face that racial inequity Right. And so to me, you know, I've, I've had to say, um, you know, look at me, I have color, I have beautiful color. Um, and I love my color. And you know, everybody has lovely color. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something active that we teach to children to, to acknowledge that, because we can, you know, pretend like color doesn't ex- exist. But it does. Um, 
<laughs> but it does exist. And, and, it and why not? In real ways. <laughs> right. It does affect people in real ways. But why not also celebrate our differences mm -hmm. and celebrate our color? Because if you don't see color, you don't see racial inequity. But you also don't see the beauty in mm -hmm. each individual in whatever color they are, you know? And so, like, my, my husband is, um, like, white skin, blonde hair, blue eyes. And then our children, who at a very young age, or rather uh, my son at a very young age, has already acknowledged that we're different colors. And we have different colored dolls. And we talk about the different colors in the dolls. And he loves all the different colors. And, you know, he actually, that was like a proud mama moment when he said to me, mom, I love everybody's different colors. And I was like, oh, my goodness, oh. It's, sink it's sinking in. Yeah. You know, and it, it's something that is, you know, it can be taught, you know, that. Yeah. Um, and it's something that is taught when, through the open conversations that we have. And so at the age group that we work uh, that we work with, right, that zero to eight age group, we want to keep these conversations positive. We want to acknowledge difference. We want to, you know, not yeah. teach children to be colorblind. What has happened to our world from taking this non-active approach to mm -hmm. racism or non-active approach to um, acknowledging difference in color is that we see all the implications of that now. People so easily triggered when we even just saying the word anti-racist, it triggers people, you know, even just questioning, you know, somebody's bias, it triggers them. And so we want to start kind of shifting that and, and, and thinking about, I want to say like, uh, um, taking this proactive approach to, to fighting racism. And that's starting now, starting with the children that we have now and, 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 and opening up those conversations and letting them acknowledge color. It's a beautiful thing. It is. Absolutely. I, I watched a video clip of Jane Elliott and she was talking about race and Jane Elliott's a big activist. I'm sure you know who that is. And um, yeah. she said at one point, I don't, I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be celebrated. I want I want to be honored because of my differences. And I, that what you just said, that immediately pops into my head again, just being like, not only do we need to address the systemic racism, but we need to celebrate all the diversity that we have. And, and really, I think that's coming out more and more in children's books as well, right? And what materials are, are available in the classroom and who is being reflected and represented throughout the classroom, not just in the literature section, but in the way we speak in, in the dolls, like you mentioned with your son, all those things all add up to moving forward in this sort of anti-racist approach that you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I think and also, oh, sorry. And I was oh, going to just say like, <laughs> no, and I was just going to say like, you know, and also, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Sorry. you go. <laughs> That's okay. It all happened. It happens to all of us. Um, I, I did just want the one of the questions I have is what does anti-racist education mean to you? And I know you just mentioned your son saying, I love all the different colors of my dollies. So maybe you can and can build on that a little bit more and why this why you feel so passionately about this. Yeah, for sure. So I think um, you know, for me, like I well, let me go back to my ECE education, because I think, you know, this is uh, my ECE education. I was very fortunate to have some really amazing educators um, who were thinking with social justice in mind, um, you know, and that was 
back in 2008 and 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 were really asking us to think critically uh, about our practices and uh, I had an instructor um, Alejandra Sanchez and she asked a question um, that really I think has generated for me where I want to go with ECE and it's always been it's always been one of those guiding questions that I've kind of leaned back on um, mm -hmm. throughout you know, throughout my, my career. Mm -hmm. uh, and the question when was, when was the first time that you experienced something unjust or you acknowledged injustice? Um, and so immediately I went to my educational experience. Okay, and I grew up here in BC in this beautiful land um, and I went to an education and not, and, I, and you know, I don't hold anything against any of my teachers because I actually really liked all of my teachers. I'm just like, I always liked all of my teachers. Um, but I do acknowledge that there was a lot of injustice in, um, in my educational settings and the way that I was taught to learn, right? You taught to learn, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but in the way that, and, 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 you know, the really uh, Eurocentric beliefs and values that were embedded in that education. And so um, that is kind of like, Every, every time I think about that question, I go back and back and back into that place in my memory where I think back, like I even have uh, memories of like my experience when I was five years old, you know, in kindergarten and, and that sort of thing. And so I've had these thoughts kind of brewing uh, within me for quite some time. And then in 2019, you know, reading that early learning framework that we have now, that BC early learning framework, I thought, oh wow <laughs> it's here like it's here in here it's not sugar-coated but mm -hmm. you know it depends what lens you're wearing to read the early learning framework because you'll pick out whatever is meaningful for you you might pick right. up on you know the the pedagogical narration pieces or the curriculum reimagining curriculum and all this kind of stuff but when i look at the early learning framework i see the social justice embedded in there mm. and i see it through you know asking us to to critically reflect mm -hmm. on everything that that is you know taken for granted knowledge within our programs our policies our curriculum our materials our practices and so to me an anti-racist education i mean we we can start with that bc early learning framework because it's an amazing document um, that i've gone back to many many times it's the core of of you know the core framework for me um, of you know what I uh, what I talk about in my uh, workshops or even I think with outside of ECE um, but thinking with that social justice lens and and within the early learning framework we're given all these critically reflective questions to think with which mm -hmm. is fantastic you know and the three questions that I've pulled out of there that I think are sort of at the foundation of thinking with social justice is thinking at each pedagogical choice that we make, who does this privilege, who does this marginalize, and who does this silence? Mm -hmm. And so for me, thinking about anti-racism, it's really about, you know, thinking with a social justice perspective. It's about, you know, decolonizing ourselves, our minds. It's about, um, and our curriculum, and it's about thinking 
with those ethical questions of living in the world together. It's about thinking with pedagogy. Mm -hmm. And there's so much that we can uncover when we start to think with pedagogy. Yeah. And I, I, I like that you bring it back to your first encounter um, of injustice. And that sort of then invites me to think about my first encounters with injustice. But at the same time, I mean, you can see I'm white, I'm blonde, I'm blue eyed. So for me, my appearance has been at the dominant has been the dominant discourse right and so for me it might have been happening but i wasn't actually made aware of it until i was much older and i think this is what's really important too is that a lot of people think that we shouldn't discuss things with children because they're too young but black children you know latinx children indigenous children they don't have a choice they have to learn about it Parents have to talk about it with their parent, with their children at a young age. So why aren't we talking about it, <clears throat> sorry, with all children, no matter what race they are, and really, you know, fronting it right from the get-go, mm -hmm. which I think is important as well. Yeah, and I, I think it comes back to this image of the child that we hold, right? And so many of us hold this image of the child as being innocent and you know like they don't have the capacity to be racist now here's the thing i know that they have the capacity to be racist because not only have i experienced it um, and witnessed it as an educator but i also experienced it as a child as a really young child as like a five-year-old you know and and having people say to me because i'm brown they don't want to play with me or um that you know, brown skin is not as good as white skin, or that, uh, what was the other one, I should stay out of the sun, um, that brown kids are not as smart. And that was things that I was directly told. And so, you know, as the person who was um, on the, the minority mm -hmm. of that group, I internalized a lot of that. I really, really did. And so you're right, there is no choice for us to, to, to avoid those conversations. But guess what? I could avoid those conversations with my child, but I choose not to. I choose to talk to my child because my child looks like the dominant discourse right now, or mm -hmm. it looks like, you know, um, and is growing up with the privilege of being uh, within the, the culture that is the dominant culture for him. And, but I don't want him to be colorblind. I don't want him to, to, to not be socially aware you know, and, and I want him to be thinking actively, like, you know, with, with social justice and notice things that are unfair and, and speak up and say something. And so um, I think it's important for us to take this stance. And, and for me, I really want to bring it back to this, this intentionality piece. Mm -hmm. It's all, to me, being anti-racist is about intentionality. It's about intentionally being anti-racist. People will say, you know, I don't think I'm anti-racist. And I've heard that in groups when people are sharing about, you know, their, their experiences and, you know, maybe how they, I had one participant who was so lovely and she was telling me about how in her town um, they didn't have any dolls that were co co different colored. Right. And so all the dolls were blonde. And she had a, a, a child in her group who was saying that, no, Barbies have to be blonde, right? Like the dolls have to be blonde. And she said, you know, I don't know if this is really being anti-racist, but I drove all the way down to the States to get different colored Barbies so that we can have a discussion about how Barbies can be different colors. And I thought, you are being anti-racist. Do you not like, wow, like that was an amazing 
stance that you took because in that moment you could have chosen to say, you know what, that's not my problem. Mm -hmm. If that child wants to think that they can think that or, or taking the approach of, ah, this child is, is just innocently doing this. Or, you know? or, or even said something, but not actually followed it up with some, something concrete, like having the actual dolls there. Exactly. And so I said, you don't realize what an impact you made for the other children who had dolls who look differently, for children who look differently, for that child to acknowledge and realize that the dolls can be different colors, have different hair colors, different eye colors, you know, and I said, that was being anti-racist. And now be intentional about it because you're doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, it's about finding that power as well and, and, and finding that sense of purpose and saying, yes, we are ethically doing what we want, what we should be doing as educators to create a more equitable future for all, to create a future that, you know, where people care more about each other, people celebrate differences, and people are not going to be triggered by, you know, simply the word or the question of anti-racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think just building on that and building on the educator and her experience, uh, what advice can you give to educators if they feel they don't have a voice in how curriculum is being made within their center or how to approach that with fellow educators and even beyond that with their head supervisors, with the program coordinator, you know, human resources, how do you go to those people, especially if they are part of the dominant discourse? What, mm -hmm. what advice would you give educators for that? Because I know that is some, sometimes a barrier because you just, you know, you're worried about keeping your job. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't, you know, so how do you, how do you take those first steps? I think it starts with our minds. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to think critically. I think many of us, you know, were brought up in uh, a, a time and a place and, you know, where uh, we were taught not to question. Uh, we were taught to listen and sit and obey. Mm -hmm. uh, we were taught to, you know, regurgitate facts. And so for us, for many of us, thinking critically, questioning, you know, standing up for what we believe, uh, it, it's hard because we have some sort of fear around that. But, you know, most times when we do it in a professional, respectful way, what we can do is we can start to reimagine our, our spaces and, and create uh, a culture within ECE and within education where um, we can think collaboratively, we can have discussion, we can have differing opinions, but we can still keep it respectful. Uh, we can have tension, but that's okay. We can thrive in that tension. We can create new in that tension. Um, and, and, and we can, you know, live in these spaces or create these workspaces and environments where um, all of this can be seen as something positive something that generates something new, um, something that helps to push us forward in a positive way. And so it really starts with us. Um, you know, just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And if, and if that means, you know, that you're going to, um, sometimes it's, some, you know, just about directly speaking to one person. Um, sometimes it's about taking a little bit of a bolder move and saying, hey, you know what, I've noticed that our materials are really lacking in representing other cultures. Um, why don't we do a fundraiser so that we can raise the money and we can, you know, 
get some books in here that represent different cultures or different people. Um, maybe we're going to fundraise so that we can create, you know, felt stories that represent different cultures and different people and different colors. Um, and, and maybe it's about questioning, you know, um, what, what policies and what limitations we have in our programs and why. Sometimes, you know, the power of question, it's, it's amazing because it's, it's sometimes it's not about just finding an answer either, right? It's not about saying, yes, this is the right way or um, no, we can't do this anymore. But it's just about generating new possibilities through asking those questions and, and having that be an okay thing to ask questions and to create this space where we can think and thinking and, you know, thinking can flourish and possibilities can flourish and, um, and it's not seen as something that's negative. Right. And, and materials is really important. And I, um, one thing that I've experienced in centers is a lot of fallback onto having a tourist approach to other cultures. And so I think with you bringing up the idea to fundraise the money in order to have diverse, materials available all the time is really important and not just putting them in a box for specific times of the year for children to explore because people are like this all the time. This is not one specific thing. It is not just a holiday. This is culture. This is what we all look like. This is what the world is like. Do you, have you had that experience as well with sort of tourism in terms of looking at cultures? Oh yeah. And especially, I think it happens more so in um, programs that are, uh, theme based um, just because there's there is that limitation of like okay we're doing the next thing we're doing the next thing um, and so then diversity becomes a a, a resource box you know mm -hmm. like you're saying um, and it becomes very limited and it's something that is pulled out once a year um, but when we look at and I'm going to bring it again to the BC early learning framework and we look Love at it. those living <laughs> we look at those living inquiries right we look at something that that should be living in our programs every day all day. It's not something, you know, diversity and, and being anti-racist and being anti-biased, it's not something that we just pull out of a box, um, you know, and, 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 you know, I've never heard that expression actually, like uh, the tourist, uh, what did you call it? Yeah, the tourist box. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly what it is, right? And that's exactly what it can be. But when we come back to the early learning framework and we look at, you know, a sense of well-being and belonging and we look at um, social identities, responsibility um, and diversity, we look at those living inquiries and we see that these aspects of of living in the world together, honoring, you know, um, a diversity in ways of being, um, you know, thinking about ways to, uh, you know, implement curriculum or maybe implement's not the right word, but like, you know, thinking of ways to reimagine our curriculum outside of the dominant framework, mm -hmm. then we, we see that this is something that we should be living with every day. It's not just a box. Um, and, you know, what to me what all of this is really about honoring diversity honoring languages honoring culture um and and making this part of a, a daily thing is about having children feel a good sense of self whoever they are wherever they come from you know we don't want children to internalize racism um you know, and I think I grew up with a lot of internalized racism because of the things that were said to me. And we did address it. I remember, you know, having like a, uh, in my school, we had like a peacemaker come in and we talked about it and why it was not okay and all that. I remember all that very clearly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, 
you know, I think for me, um, having one conversation isn't enough. I think. Yes. That's yes. It's not enough. So it has to be, it has to be an everyday thing. It has to be ongoing. It has to be living. Mm-hmm. Just part of our living, our, our, our living curriculum and our living, you know, our way of being um, within our programs and outside of our programs as well. There, uh, I, I attended a workshop on anti-Black racism the other day. And one of the speakers, Dr. Evelyn Kissish, said, every story about a lion glorifies the hunter. And I thought that that was really powerful and that that sentence just has stuck with me right overnight into this meeting and about what you've just said in, in reimagining curriculum in new ways and creating what Peter Moss calls alternative narratives, whose story is being told. Again, like you said, who's being silenced, who's being marginalized. So I think that really uh, rounds it back together. And one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, is an example, if an, empl- if an employer said to you, we all have, di- we have all different kinds of children with diverse backgrounds, you know, and they go on to say there's Filipino, there's Korean, there's Chinese, there's white, we have East Indian, they start naming all these things, uh, these different, you know, cultures, it, it's almost like a scapegoat to say, well, look at us, we're diverse. And so, and, and with that, they going along and saying, well, I don't see racism. So why would I start the conversation? If it's not happening in this center, why am I not addressing it? And I think what's really important is even if it isn't happening, going back to that honoring the diversity and pointing out that there are differences and that's what we need to highlight as well is because when the children leave your center, hey, guess what? They're out in the world and all these things are still there and it's all still happening. So what do you, what's your take on that? Um, so I want to bring it back to that convo that we had a little bit earlier about being proactive. Yeah. Right. Because we see what the non-active approach has produced in our world now. Um, and we don't want that for our future. And, and so we want to be taking this anti-racist approach because we want to be, you know, proactive in being anti-racist. And so, um, I think at the end of the day, if I were to approach somebody that had that attitude, um, I would just let them know that, you know what, if, if, cause it might just be even that, that the word anti-racism is what's triggering them. Um, right. you know what, we're trying to create culturally safe spaces. Um, and that happens through the cultural competency of educators. And so being culturally competent doesn't mean that I'm going to learn and know everything that there is to know about every single culture because that would just be impossible Mm -hmm. but it does mean that i'm going to be open to learning i'm going to be open to acknowledging and recognizing my own biases i'm going to be open to addressing you know whatever racism i see that is either hiding uh, Mm -hmm. in our nice center um or that is or that is visible that is intentional (laughs) exactly that is intentional or unintentional um and so and and that's what part of being anti-racist is about and you know it it comes back at the end of the day about just being proactive Mm -hmm. it's about being proactive right so it would be like um i want to give the example of like having diabetes right like if you know that you have the genetic possibility that you're going to have diabetes you're going to try to be proactive so that you don't become a diabetic well guess what we all have biases 
we are we are all deeply ingrained with biases and our children are too and so if we know that every single person has the potential to be racist, then we're going to be proactive in trying to stop that racism before it happens. And if it happens, we address it, you know, and we address it while we're still young. And then, you know, we, we, we learn those, those lessons and, and we have, you know, that, that sort of that impact right now that, that, hey, this is not okay for me to treat somebody differently because of their color of their skin and, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and we're doing that now because we want a more equitable, equitable future. We want a future of people that care more about each other, um, that don't feel fear to advocate or don't feel fear to uh, critically think or question. Um, you know, we, we, we want a future of, of citizens that will be able to do that much better than how we're doing that right now. Yeah. <laughs> not, not me and you, but like, I'm just talking collectively, yeah. right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so in, in that idea of being proactive, could you maybe give us some resources that you've been sort of turning to right now, or you have looked at in the past uh, beyond social media? Because I know that's, that's one thing a lot of people, at least in my generation, fall back on as well. Google's at your fingertips, social media is at your fingertips, which is, which is all true. And there is a ton of information there, but there, not everybody uses social media and not everybody wants to be looking at a screen all the time. So maybe you can list some other resources that you've encountered. Yeah, and so the two main ones, because I want to keep it really like localized for us within British Columbia, the two main ones would be the early learning framework absolutely um, and then we also have the indigenous cultural safety resource guide um, that came out in 2019 as well um, within that resource guide you've got you know a many, many resources to um, learning the colonial history of Canada um, and learning a bit more about, um, you know, the Indigenous people within Canada. And respectfully, I'm not pooling everybody in um, together. But for me, as a non-Indigenous person, that is the, the word that I'm going to use. Um, but within that resource guide, um, there are many, you know, different uh, podcasts and, 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 um, uh, talks and videos and uh, courses that you can take. Um, within that resource guide, there's also a video linked to um, one of the talks that Monique Gray Smith does, and she's absolutely amazing. And she does a lot of teaching on, um, you know, cultural uh, competency, cultural safety, um, and and resilience. And so the one video in there is on resilience. Um, I absolutely encourage people to look at that guide and to look at that video um, and thinking about building resilience. I think a lot of the time when 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 people hear the words social justice or they hear the words, um, you know, anti-racism, they immediately go to like a defensive place. Um, but, you know, these different concepts being anti-racist and, 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 mm -hmm. and, and, and social justice, it can be about building resilience. Mm hmm. You know, and so that's something that I think can help people um, maybe change their perspectives or open up their perspectives um, when they're thinking about these different ideas, right? Um, there uh, is also uh, Vicki Reynolds. I love her work. Um, and the one uh, article that I read was uh, Leaning In as an Imperfect Ally. Um, that was one of the ones that really started to form my ideas of, okay, what 
what does it mean to be an ally? Um, I can't necessarily say that I am an ally. I, I strive to be, I want to be, I hope to be, you know, uh, maybe showing acts of solidarity. Um, but that's another one that I would recommend um, looking at Vicki Reynolds. She's done a couple of uh, different, you know, videos and, and uh, I recently heard another uh, one of her podcasts as well where she was a guest. Um, Dr. Rosemary Allen, and she is in the in the States, but she um, has a couple of videos up on anti-racism um, and anti-black racism. Um, so that's a really great one as well. Um, and then I have, of course, you know, my my own instructors um, that I like to reference uh, that have come into my life that have uh, contributed to a lot of my deep thinking or critical thinking, whatever you want to call it. Um, so like I named Alejandra Sanchez, um, Lori Coker, um, and, and currently uh, Jin Sun Yoon. Um, she's one of, she's my uh, practicum instructor and, and she's been um, fabulous uh, at, and she's at the University of Victoria and she's been fabulous with um, helping me sort of progress my thinking and um, sharing resources with me about what it may look like to be, you know, taking this anti-racist approach um, within our space and place that we're in. So those are kind of the main ones for me um, that I can think of just, you know, right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that I would look into, look into their work, <laughs> look into what they're doing because um, they're really amazing people. And yeah. um, now for the resource as well is we have you. <laughs> you oh. also a resource. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks. So if you would, uh, it, for those of you listening again, um, Anna, she runs early years workshops. And so maybe you can speak a little bit about that for professional development, uh, what maybe a few courses that you have offered, or if you have one coming up. Yeah, um, so I do. This year, I worked a lot on doing uh, communities of practices on the early learning framework. Um, the early learning framework is really heavy with, you know, content and theory and um, new language, which is fantastic. I, I love the new language in the early learning framework. And so um, I've worked a lot around, you know, creating spaces at whatever capacity, you know, the, the center or the program has um, to host communities of practices, whether it's been in, you know, a couple of sessions or five or six sessions. Um, and so that's been really central to a lot of what I, I do and what I teach um, mm -hmm. and what I, you know, I, I follow the pathways that I follow. Um, some of the other things that I'm, I'm currently working on is uh, creating, you know, workshops that are based around social justice, um, again, decolonizing uh, maybe some feminist perspectives uh, in there, um, and really having educators think about ways to be intentional mm -hmm. uh, in their practice, um, you know, working on critical thinking skills or encouraging critical thinking skills, encouraging questioning, um, and, and, you know, encouraging this sort of more, I want to say this intuitive way of practicing, right? Because we get so much information and I know that this uh, podcast has been a lot of information, a lot of, yeah. you know, banter and stuff, but like, I, I think um, learning how to decolonize ourselves and, 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 and question ourselves um, and critically reflect 
we can get to this place of being intuitive and more purposeful and intentional in our practice. And I think that's kind of what the workshops that I do are about. I mean, I hope, right? That's the yeah, hope. I'd like that's that's, that's my that's my intention. I don't know if that's how it comes across on the other end, but that's the intention of a lot of what I do. And so, nothing that I do is perfect. I'm I'm very um, you know open about that. I'm very messy. Mm. I have very messy pathways, as you've seen uh, today. Like I I just go on 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 tangents sometimes, but I, you know, it's it's just part of the way that I am. It's just part of the way that I think. And so, I'm I'm very thankful for all those that are willing to be messy with me and be imperfect with me and think about ways to be you know imperfect allies and 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 respond uh, imperfectly to racism and and social injustices that we see and you know I'm just I'm really thankful to be able to do that as my work right now and excited to see whatever may come you know next year yeah who knows what 20 who knows what 2021 has in store for any of us I mean 2020 was a 2020 was kind of a, a fun ride, right? I guess to call it fun, but. And uh, if anyone would like to contact you, they would go to your website, which is www.earlyyearsworkshop.com, correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a contact page on there with your information. Um, Anna, you also just released an article from the Early Childhood Educator through ECEBC, right? Mm -hmm. And that's called Thinking Beyond Tolerance and Inclusion to Anti-Bias and Anti-Racist Approaches in the Early Years. So if you guys are a member of ECEBC, which we strongly recommend that you are, you can check out that article as well. And um, do you have any final comments or, or anything you would like to add as we wrap up this podcast? Um, not not really. I mean, I'm okay. I'm just really I'm really thankful to um, be able to come on here and and be a, a guest on your show. I I think the work that you and um, and Kayla are doing is fantastic. Um, yeah, and and you know keep it up. I think it's it's you know all the the progress that we see in ECE within British Columbia. It's a collective it's a collective effort. You know, everybody's doing their part in whatever sector, um, in whatever space is, is meaningful for them. And so, you know, you in this podcasting space, you know, um, I, I, I follow ECEBC, the 10 a day movement, um, you know, and all these wonderful educators who are in their spaces um, working toward a, a, a more equitable uh, and, and just a more solid positive childcare space in British Columbia. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing as well. Well, hey, thank you for coming in and, and talking to us. We were very excited, very thrilled when you reached out to us. Kayla and I were texting in like all caps. Very happy that you were able to join us and, and share some of the knowledge that you're acquiring, right? Because learning is ongoing and this will be a great resource for people. So thank you so much from Kayla and, and myself. We're so grateful that you were able to join us on our podcast. For those of you listening, if you have any comments or questions, you can always email us at ecehonestly at gmail.com or send us a DM on our Instagram. That's how Anna and I, we all got in touch, which is great. So we look forward to hearing from all of you and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Bye.